0: Hey, we're there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fan Fuel Motorsports, the podcast for fans fuel talk about motorsports. And tonight we are gonna delve into the unknown. Go grab some tinfoil. Go make yourself a hat. Because a little later we're gonna dive into the third volume of uh, What Ifs in Racing. Gonna get a little multidimensional. But first, we're gonna start off with some boker joke. I'm the interim host this week. Alex is actually at work again sad um so my name is Colton Cranmore I'm joined by Nathan Ball wrong side yeah we're
1: doesn't matter what Side I'm on, I'm on. <laughs> Nate
0: what have you been up to this week huh what have you been up to this week
1: oh man what have I been up to this week not much I drove home today so I'll be here for a couple months and then I don't know like I'm just here there's not much going on so
0: I don't have a big, long intro like Alex normally does, I feel. Right, I don't like have one either. Like, I, just, yeah. I don't
1: have anything. I don't do much interesting things.
0: Yeah, oh, neither do I. Um, I guess screw it. Let's just get right into Woker Joke. Um, Alex did send us a few topics here that he wanted us to hit on, and that definitely seem interesting. Um, so first one, Nate, are you Woker Joke on fans on social praising the 550
1: being gone forever? I'm a joke because you know that they're going to do 550 next year. You know, their aim is to recreate the same thing. Like they, they, we know what they want. Like they want wide open racing. They want pack racing, you know, there's no point in celebrating it being gone because chances are you're probably going to get something similar next year.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, NASCAR has come out and said, this is the direction that they want to go in. Um, so there's yeah. no point in me being excited that the 550 package is gone because we're just gonna have the little brother of the 550 next year. And we're gonna have it on more tracks, it seems like.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping they don't put it like Darlington or something because that would yeah.
0: Pack I mean, racing it's no. track. What about uh Dale Jr. staying the saying that the next gen is the best stock car he's ever driven? Did you see that oh, from Tessa Bowman Gray?
1: I think it depends on what he means by best. I mean, I would assume the best meant not in terms of like most fun, but maybe it turns the best in the slow corner because it's, you know, it's a road course car. So I would assume it probably turns a little bit better based on what everyone says. And I would think maybe he's just complimenting how it gets around the corner, what it does rather than, Hey, this is going to be the best race car ever. It's going to be the most entertaining to watch.
0: Yeah. I definitely think junior comes from a more of a driver standpoint Um, entertainment standpoint, um, he's one on the broadcast to talk about how the car drives, what he likes in a race car, what he doesn't like in a race car and what the drivers feel. Um, so if he's saying good things about it, that makes me a little bit more, uh, optimistic about the next gen, but I still, I'm still super hesitant just from the info that I've heard, um, from a lot of the other drivers at tests from Daytona, et cetera. Um, a lot of the people who were there at tests, um, kind of let out a little bit of rumors.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's, I'm still 50-50 on it. I don't want to get my hopes up.
0: Yeah, yeah, same boat here. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily woke or if I'm joking. I'm kind of on the fence.
1: I'm I'm leaning like 60-40 joke. 60/40 Just
0: based on what the entertainment is. it. Start giving percentages. Sorry, I'm trying to read some notes here. NASCAR plays second fiddle to the USGP. Did you watch the USGP first off?
1: Uh, Yeah. I actually had a, a thing going on where in my apartment, I had a computer over here, had my TV behind me and I was in an office chair. So every time I wanted to see a race, I could just turn back and forth and being completely honest. Most of the, the cup race at Kansas wasn't super eventful other than like, you know, everyone's cutting tires and all that kind of stuff. So I spent most of my time looking at my computer for the, until the, the race was over. And then I, just put the cup race back.
0: So you woke a joke on NASCAR being the second fiddle.
1: Um I look, I love NASCAR. I don't want them to fail, but at the same time, I think I'm woke because it's almost like they needed that to happen. Like it's never you know, people are saying, Oh, NASCAR still won, NASCAR still won. But you look at 10 years ago when F one was on speed, I don't think anyone would have thought that an F1 race could get half as many viewers as a cup race. You know, ten years ago, it was probably NASCAR would maybe eight or nine times F one, and now they're only down to double. So it's like, you know, you can't look at the numbers, but you have to look at what's happening because you know we're going down and one's going up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm completely woke on it. I think this is a the kick in the ass that NASCAR kind of needs um, mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, kind of get your stuff together." This is where the viewers are heading, um, and also it kind of attests as to how much more popular racing in America's getting. I don't know necessarily that um, a lot of former NASCAR fans were jumping over to F1 because I don't really see that correlation there. Um, but I think it's just a lot of people in the country turning on to racing. Um, I've said it for a little over a year now on Twitter that I don't think racing's dead. I actually think it's growing. I just think that fans are picking out what they like best. They're not just having one of yeah. motorsport forced down their throat.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think people that are into racing, you know, they might not like NASCAR, but they do like racing.
0: Right, exactly. I think of a lot of dirt fans out there that now have the opportunity um, to do more than just go to the track, you know, that's an hour Mm -hmm. and a half away from them. They can, you know, dirt vision, this, that. Formula One um, gained a huge following with Drive to Survive, however Hollywood that may be. Um, It's still sparked a lot of interest.
1: I would agree, I think. Like, I'm not, like, a huge to survive guy. I get it because I've been – I was kind of there before that happened. But I do think it's good because you got to get people from somewhere. Yeah.
0: So, Denny Hamlin said that NASCAR needs to be more like F1. Did you hear the quote? You're a big Denny fan.
1: Yeah, I heard the quote. I think – I don't remember everything he said, but I do want to say that I think it was entertainment-based. Like, you know, we need to have stuff at the track for the people – outside of the racing too, like you know when there's no practice or whatever you have to give them a reason to go there and like i think if it's a one-day show for nascar there is no reason to go there without you know entertainment say like infield stuff i don't see why i would go to a one-day show anymore i think yeah. if you're going to do that you have to give people the opportunity to experience other stuff than just we're going to come here watch nothing and then watch a race and then go home
0: Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think they either need to bring more stuff back, like in the midways and in the infield for fans to do. Um, I get they went away with it with COVID, um, but they need to start bringing some of that stuff back, that interactive stuff, or they need to just lower ticket prices, um, which we know they're probably not going to do that. But why would I spend, I mean, we spent about $2,000 on our trip to the Vegas race, and we didn't do anything other than sit in the bleachers and wait for the race to start. And mm-hmm. then as soon as the race was done, we walked out to our car and left. Um, I would have yeah, loved nice. to have had other stuff to watch. I mean, they had, you know, show cars sitting out there. But, I mean, if you've seen a yeah. show car
1: in the last two years, you've seen a show car. All right. right. Like, there's got to be something to, to see. Like, there's no attractions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a little disappointed that I spent that much money. Um, it would have made it a little bit better had the tickets been $40 a piece instead of over $200 a piece. Yeah. So, I would have. I mean, I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. I think.
1: Yeah, and you look at F one tickets for Miami; they sold out in a day. They were eight hundred dollars or more per ticket for a three day pass. Because I yeah. thought about getting tickets for that race. I saw the price. I'm like, no way! Like, I'm. It's cheaper just to go to a race that's not in the state than it is to go to this one. Yeah,
0: I didn't know the tickets were that expensive. Damn.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. They're like three or four times that of if you go to Canada to watch a race.
0: What a, yeah. uh, the course in Miami is it a street course in Miami?
1: Yeah, they're building like a temporary track around the stadium. Huh. I mean, I still I'm not like a huge street course guy, but I would have gone because it's F1. But, but not for that price. I mean, it's ridiculous.
0: I didn't ever see what the uh, course lined up was. So yeah, I mean, woke on Danny's comment, I do think NASCAR mm-hmm. has a lot to learn um from Formula 1. Um I do have another one. This I, did you listen to DBC this week? You actively listen? Uh, no,
1: I did not listen this week. What do they? I mean, I'm like a yeah. listener, not every week, but sometimes I do listen.
0: We had a conversation in the group chat, and I think Jared posted on Twitter about the possibility mm-hmm. of Kyle Bush retiring if he doesn't oh, like the 550 stuff. About him just saying, F it, I don't want to drive this anymore. Because we we know he's super vocal about hating that kind of racing. We hear on the radio every single week. He put out Steve O'Donnell's email last week over the radio, which was great. In DBC this week, Freddie kind of let a little bit of a cat out of the bag when they were talking about where Ty Gibbs is going. So the conversation started with him talking about Ty Gibbs. And it got brought up that Ty Gibbs is a one-year Xfinity driver. They think he'll race one full-time year in Xfinity, go right up to Cup, because he's got the talent.
1: I think I would agree.
0: They started talking about, hey, where's Ty going to go? And Freddie said – I think there's a couple drivers that are on the back halves of their careers that are going to drive this next-gen for one year, and if they don't like it, they're going to leave.
1: Yeah, I think I would agree.
0: Assuming that Ty Gibbs isn't going to race anywhere other than Gibbs or at least a Toyota Shaq. Um, mm-hmm. That leaves Martin Truex, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin.
1: Yeah. Um, ooh, I mean, are you? is this more like a Ty Gibbs first part, or are we doing the Kyle Busch part first? Let's do them both. Woke Brazil okay,
0: so, games one year in Xfinity.
1: Hmm, yeah, I think I'm woke on that one. He's probably going to win like ten races. There's literally no competition yeah. for him, so it's that's a shoe in. But, but I think an interesting part is you know we don't know where he's going to go. Like I think 2311 is a real possibility if Kurt doesn't like the next gen car because he's already kind of up there in age. He can and just Kurt, yeah, I forgot about Kurt. Yeah, Kurt's one of them. I think if someone's going to leave, it's going to be Kurt just because. Truex and it's a monster energy car it's a pretty seamless sponsorship transition um I don't see Truex leaving unless something else happens because he's he's still doing pretty good like he's still got a chance to win a title so and he's there's no sign slowing down for him Hamlin's having one of the better years of his career Kyle Busch, I wouldn't say he's having one of the best years of his careers but I don't think he's been that bad either I think that's more of a case of whether or not he's actually so sick of it he's gonna leave. And that brings me to this thought. I think I think his heart wants to quit, but I think his mind knows that if he sticks around for a few more years, gets to his kind of the peak years that most drivers hit, he could probably win like 60 or 70. Or not, he's already at 60. He could probably win 70 or 80 races. And if he sticks around, even if he hates it, he could become you know, top five in the wins list. So I think if he's going to stay, the only reason he's going to stay is trying to get into the, you know, top five wins list, you know, out of all the drivers that have ever raced. I think his competition is going to keep him around.
0: Well, I guess this would need to be addressed too. Then are we still sticking that drivers hit their peak at 40? Ooh. I mean, we have Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin who are doing, I mean, they're kicking ass. Same um, with Truex.
1: I mean, he's up there. Same he's with Truex, the yeah. guys.
0: But, I mean, we also see, like, Jeff Gordon didn't – really peak at 40 jeff gordon peaked at more 27 28 up to his mid-30s <laughs> same with jimmy johnson kind of peaked in For the sure. early to mid-30s um Ooh, so i mean weird. is that completely true anymore now the drivers aren't having to wheel the cars around they don't get quite as much of that experience behind the wheel to give them yeah. that
1: advantage this could be interesting because i think i'm sure a lot of it depends on the that's around him, like You know, Jeff Gordon needed Ray Evernham. who knows what his age 38 season would have been like with Ray Evernham? because Jeff had a little bit of a downturn, but later in his career, he did pick up a little bit before he left. And I I do think that Kyle definitely has a lot more left in the tank. It's just up to whether or not he wants to tolerate the racing.
0: Yeah. And so I completely forgot about Kurt. I think that two that I are, are most likely to step away. So I'm woke for Ty Gibbs one year in Xfinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you. I think he's just going to blow the doors off everyone, kind of like William Byron did yeah. um, when he stepped up there. I think Kurt is one of them that could, and then honestly, Kyle's probably the second one, just because we've seen Edwards step away just because he flat out didn't like it. Not saying Kyle's the same, yeah. but Kyle's also got a kid that's really starting to get into racing right now. He's got that's, his That's Williams a point about. that I didn't think about. Um, you know, We could see him step away and kind of do more family stuff. So it'll it'll be interesting to see um being that Freddie was I mean fairly confident in the way he said it and you'll have to go back and listen if you guys have listened to DBC this week um he was kind of like half hinting at it like he already knows that there's a couple guys that might uh might hang it up after next year if they don't like the next gen so
1: that'll be interesting I think Kevin Harvick's definitely got to be one of those guys I know he's not a like a, he's not like a seat warmer for his high games but I think that when I think of guys getting fed up with a new car and leaving, like Harvick is like top of the list. Did you see he just
0: signed a new sponsorship deal today?
1: Yeah, the gear wrench thing.
0: Yeah. And they said and for I want to say years. his deal
1: ends, what, like 2023 maybe? Yeah. So I think so he, he, could, he could probably just leave whenever he wants. Yeah. Um, so that'll be –
0: I mean, and if anything, that'll open a seat for someone else to move. Yep. Um, so, I mean, we're already starting on silly season 2022. Shit.
1: I kind of do want to know the the impact of the the Kyle Busch retirement. Like, I don't want to – you know, I'm not saying I want the guy to retire, but I do really want to see what the reaction would look like because I think it would be kind of a big – Well, we know, he's
0: going to be outspoken about it. He's not going to be like Carl who just kind of steps away and keeps it to himself and hints I think
1: Jimmy was – I don't think he liked it either. I think he mentioned that he liked to drive high-horsepower cars, which is why he chose any car.
0: right. Right, and we know Kyle's gonna be vocal about it. So I mean, that'll definitely be interesting if he does step away for some reason, other than he's just old and sick of it. Um, like he's he's gonna let us know.
1: Yeah, he'll be full. Like he's not gonna hide.
0: Yeah, and then you're gonna have all the the boomers coming out saying he's just a crybaby. So, right. Um, did you have any other woke or jokes you wanted mm-hmm. to hit on?
1: No, but I mean, I, I do. I am kind of interested in the the thing that Alex mentioned about championship picks, I know he was saying that like a woker joke on, you know, do I think Trux is actually going to win the championship? Um, you know, obviously it's just a work in progress. He has yet, he's got to make the final four first. I think he's one point outside the cut line, mm-hmm. but I do think if nothing goes wrong, he could do so because he's won, I think two of the last three in Martinsville could have been all three if it wasn't for a loose wheel. So it's doable. And I think on the 750 ovals, he's been, he's been a little bit quicker than Larson most of the year on those Bristol, Richmond, not Bristol, obviously that's different, but you know, like a Richmond or a Martinsville or a New Hampshire, like a flatter track. Like that's, that's kind of been where Gibbs has been a little better than Hendrick. So I think if there's anywhere where Kyle Larson might get beaten, it's those types of racetracks, especially like Phoenix and whatnot, because you know, I think of something like that and I think of 750 teams, Truex is the first one that comes to mind. So I don't know. Like I have not missed a title pick since I think 2016. So you never, never say never. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I do think that as of right now, I'm like extremely comfortable saying that he's, he's probably my title pick at the moment.
0: So you did it last year too. You called Chase Elliott, I think a few weeks before the season
1: ended. Um, No, I think I did. Um, I had a tweet. I don't know if I posted it in the group chat. I think it was yeah. March 2019 where I said something like Chase Elliott's easy money in 2020.
0: Oh, so a full year and a half in advance. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. Um, I was big on the Chase Elliott hype. I remember saying like a ton of times, this guy is going to win a title within two years, the moment Hendrick gets better. I promise you. And it, I guess it only said one. So,
0: yeah. Oh, well, what? I mean, you've done it in F1 too, right?
1: Yeah, I've done an F1. I mean, obviously, F1's a lot easier to predict, so.
0: Right. Um, so, you're talking about 2016. So, Truex 2017. Um, I had a 2018.
1: 2018, I believe. That was a preseason pick. I, I, I thought for sure it wasn't going to come true in the middle of yeah. the season, but it did. And then, it's just just weird. I think a little bit luck. But, I mean, I don't like the playoffs, obviously. And I think with the playoffs – you know, you just predict who you think's going to be best at the last couple of tracks of the year, and I think Truex is that guy. You know, he could go out and win Martinsville. That's basically his playground. Go out there. Then at Phoenix, he spent the whole offseason prepping for Phoenix, and he's been super good at, like, Richmond, New Hampshire, all the places that correlate. Go out there, win that like he did in spring, and then boom. Like, I don't, I don't think that would make him a deserving champion, obviously. I think it would be, like, the epitome of Mickey Mouse, but – it's, that's just I, – I don't know how to say it. I think it's just how they're won, no.
0: I'm going to throw one more out there because you brought up Logano 2018 um, and the kind of up-and-down year he had and the year he's had this year, right, which oh, is yeah. one win. um, But he's still in the hunt for the, the final four spot.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of so, worried about him.
0: <laughs> I'm not either, but, I mean, he's won at Martinsville before.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm worried year. about him in the sense that, like, you know he could, you know what he does when he has to win. Like he will run through you, and like I'm, I'm already having nightmares in my head of the 11 being in front of him and him just junking him to win that race. I mean, yeah, we saw him
0: junk Mark. Well, not junk, but move Mark Martin just to win at Pocono.
1: I know. Like I'm, I'm just picturing him like right rearing my driver at Martinsville for a win. I'm like, oh, i like, I don't want this man. Like get this man as far away from my driver as possible. So since the playoffs started,
0: he has made the Final Four four times. He's made it to the round of eight every year except 2017 where he completely missed the playoffs. So, woke or joke, Joey Logano is the best manipulator
1: of the playoff system. Oh, man, this is tough. Like, I I would say woke for him, but I think he's not the only one. I think every year you see a guy – That only does well on the tracks he has to do well at and nowhere else. And I think Truex is definitely the manipulator this year. If you look at non-playoff points, yes, he has four wins, but he would be seventh in points without playoffs. So, he hasn't been the most consistent guy, but if you look at 750 tracks, Truex has been one of the guys, and if there's anyone that can just win Martinsville and Phoenix, like the two tracks you really need to focus on to win the title, he could do it. Logano could do it too, but I do think you're right in the sense that Logano was like the consistent manipulator of the format because other than like 2014, 2015, 2016, he didn't really deserve to be in the final four of some of those years. Like, right. Like I know 2018, obviously he was not the best driver that year. He just won the last couple of races of the year. Um, 2019, 2019. I'm not sure. I was surprised he missed the final four of 2019. That was a little bit yeah. weird. Um, 2020 for sure. He didn't really do much most of the year except for win a couple early. And then and then really, the clean air Kansas thing, that's what punched his ticket, and that was it. So I do think this year he's in a must win. But, I mean, it's Logano, it's Martinville. If it's a late restart, he will take everyone out in front of him to get yeah. here.
0: I mean, I'm going to go woke. So – And the reason I'm going to say this is because of his wins. Um, Yeah. Because in 2014 and 2015, he had a combined 11 wins, um, and he has 13 since then, 2016 on. So, I mean, you're talking about 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, six seasons, he has 13 wins where he got 11 and two of them. But if you look at those 13 wins – a good third of them have come in just absolute perfect times in the playoffs. He'll get that yeah. win early in the season to lock himself in, and then he'll kind of coast the rest of the year, figure it out, and then go out and kill it when it matters.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't like it. I think it's a Mickey Mouse championship method, but I mean, that's just how it is these days. There's no the season; doesn't really matter, and it kind of sucks. So. We need to get a Mickey Mouse trophy and just
0: slap a logo yeah. on whoever
1: wins it. Don't hate the player, hate the game.
0: Right, exactly. Like, yep. it's a
1: Mickey Mouse format, so, you know, if, if a guy's got to win a Mickey title, he's got to do what he's got to do.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're just doing what they can with the format given. Because
1: um, they know they're not going to be able to beat Larson week in, week out. Like, that's, that's an afterthought. They're not going to be able to catch that guy. Yeah, well, Denny might. Yeah, he's the only one that really – those are the only guys that were good the whole year. That's it.
0: Yeah. Before we head into what ifs, um, did you have anything important to say about the USGP? I know you probably watched more of it than I did. Um, I was definitely back and forth. I watched the start. I watched a couple laps around 21, 22, um, and then saw the very end.
1: Yeah, I would say it lived up to the hype. It's a good race. A lot of things going on. I think the fight for the win was pretty fun to watch because you had two guys on – kind of similar strategies i mean one of them would undercut and one of them would pit later get a couple lap pressure tires and i I did come down to the wire at the very end um the only thing i think that saved max from winning that race is it a lapped car before the white flag gave him drs which was like that little bit he needed because i think without that hamilton would have got drs would have closed like closed a pretty big chunk in one straightaway and then the next one he would have got drs and he probably would have had at least a chance at them. So, so
0: explain to me the DRS. So if you're leading, you can't use it, right? But you can if you're coming up on a car to pass?
1: Correct, yeah. So you have to be within one second of a car, whether it's a lap car or a car in front of you, to get the device. and. Uh, so you
0: can just, like, four seconds behind, slap on the DRS and
1: haul out. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have to be within a second at the detection points. And obviously the detection points differ... At every racetrack and you'll see guys play games with that sometimes i think think back to 2013 there was like a hamilton alonzo in montreal they were doing this side by side for a couple laps, and they were coming out of a corner on a straightaway at the detection line and you could see the detection line painted on the track so hamilton's ahead of alonzo right so what he does he backs off to try and get behind alonzo at the detection point so he can get drs then alonzo hits the brakes even harder so that hamilton stays ahead of them so that he can get the DRS, but yeah. it's not so common these days. It's just it's just neat because some drivers really think ahead with that kind of stuff.
0: See, I always thought, I mean, I guess I just have only ever played the video games, and I guess I just stuck enough to be in the middle of the pack all the time. I just thought it was constantly on. Um, as long as you hit that zone, you could go ahead and flip it.
1: Yeah, that would be <laughs> pretty interesting.
0: So it's it's pretty much just to encourage overtakes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like okay. I mean, some drivers don't like it, some do. But I mean, it's I wouldn't want like I don't think it if the cars race better, you wouldn't need it. But with the way these race cars are, you probably have to have it. That makes sense. So
0: let's jump into what ifs. This is the beef of the show. It's our third one. I can't believe we've already done three of them, um, and we're still not running out of topics. So. No. We're gonna go what Nate, start off with yours.
1: All right, um, we're gonna go kind of across the pond with this one. Um, I want to say Colton did a Davy Allison one and one one of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I gotta go like full fanboy with this one. Um, somebody asked this question. One of the YouTubers for F1, and he asked like, you know, what if what if Alonso did stay at Ferrari after 2014 because his deal did not end until 2016. He left on his own accord because the team just did, didn't improve. You know, what if he did stay there? What would the, what would the impact on the driver market be? What would the impact on the all-time wins list look like? And, you know, what would the impact on the perception of other drivers in the era be? Because I think if you're looking at one guy that benefited more than anyone at Alonzo being in an uncompetitive car, it's Lewis Hamilton. Like it's gotta be because he went from having Alonso arguably be the most competitive driver next to him to being in something that couldn't compete. So I think that's yeah. probably one of the biggest areas that I wanted to get about. So, I mean, you had a lot of bullet points
0: lined out for this. And obviously, I'm not as much of an F1 fan. Um, mm-hmm. So I know they had the big championship battle when Alonso won it over Hamilton when they were driving
1: for McLaren, right? Oh no, that was that was a ways back. So I guess so that was, had, I know yeah, that was a ways and that back. Was, Hamilton Alonzo were basically tied and they gave Hamilton on count back because he had more second place finishes, I believe. Ah okay. So that's what that's why Alonso's like, yeah, I'm I i do not want to save this team because this, this rookie kid is basically taking my number one status away. So he moved back to Renault for a couple years i was kind of eh. and then 2010 he goes to ferrari Everyone's like okay this is this is the move you know he's gonna win a lot of things and he drove pretty well like i would say that in the, the the five years that he was at ferrari he only crashed out of a race maybe three times in that entire span um he was i think second in points in 2010 they lost the title in the last race because of strategy they, they completely screwed up on that 2011 car was not competitive. He did win a race. He did finish fourth in the points ahead of actually ahead of Lewis Hamilton in a much faster McLaren. Then comes 2012. Everyone knows, you know, that was probably Alonzo's greatest season. He didn't win the title, but I mean, he was leading the points probably for two thirds of the year in a car that was definitely like third or fourth fastest again, beats Hamilton 2013. Again, Hamilton probably has a little bit better car. Alonso beats him again. And then 2014, obviously, when Hamilton he gets the full advantage of the hybrid era. And Mercedes just comes out. They win, I think 16 of the 19 races that year, maybe. I don't if I'm remembering correctly. Um Alonzo's Ferrari was probably like the worst Ferrari of the decade at that point. It was terrible. You know, it, it wasn't good, but he drove well in the sense that he almost won a race in it. He I think he beat Kimi Räikkönen like eighteen to two in the races or something like that. So that's mm. that car is kind of what led him to leave because he's like, I'm tired of carrying the team on my back.
0: Oh, huh. that's interesting. So, I mean, if you're saying, what if he never left Ferrari? Do you think he gets another world championship there? Ooh, I mean, do you think this is still the fun
1: part? Yeah, this is the fun part. I think that if he would have stayed for one more year, I think that he definitely would have had a top three points finish in 2015 because you look at they put Vettel in the car the next year he was another high profile free agent obviously he went out he won three races in 2015 he actually almost beat a Mercedes to finish second points with Rosberg so I think if you put Alonzo in the car in 2015 of course he probably doesn't you know Mercedes is still better Hamilton was just running away at that point I don't think he beats Hamilton but I do think that if Vettel did come that close to being Rosberg, I I would see that, I could see him finishing second in points in 2015, which would be which would be a fairly significant upset.
0: And do you think he's still with Ferrari today?
1: Oh man! So I guess I'll give you the year rundown, right? So 2016 after that wasn't a super competitive year. Mercedes was probably better than they'd ever been at that point. Ferrari did not win a race with either driver. So I don't see Alonso winning that year. Probably finishes fourth or fifth in points. 2017, this is where things get fun. Like they built a legitimate car that could challenge Mercedes in a lot of tracks. Vettel probably drove one of the best years of his career. Um he was really neck and neck with Hamilton up until he crashed at Singapore from the lead. That hurt a lot. And then after that, there were Two or three mechanical failures in the last five or six races of the year that kind of just put the nail in the coffin. That was it. So I think Alonso easily finished second that year. The mechanical failures probably keep him from winning that title for sure. But I think 2018 is if he, if he gets a second or third title. I assume a third, but that was the year for sure because, um, as we know, Vettel drove a pretty good year for the first half. He won a lot of races. Ferrari was arguably the car for the first half. And then once Germany came around, Vettel crashed out of the lead in his home race. That was a really, really bad race for him. And then he spins from second in Monza. Could have won that race. He spins on lap one again at Cota. Spins on lap one again in Japan. Hmm. You look at all the mistakes he made. He lost almost 60 or 70 points on his own accord through that year. And yes, I do think Mercedes had a better car at the end of 2018, but I don't think it was bad enough to excuse the mistakes he made. And everybody seems to know that Alonzo's main skill is not making mistakes. So I think put him in that car, maybe he doesn't qualify as well as Vettel, but I do think that he could probably have stemmed the bleeding enough to where yes, Hamilton probably wins out to end the season, but I do think that he would have finished well enough to keep the points lead by maybe a hair. So 2019, that's a fun one because that was obviously the arrival of LeClerc. Um, That probably would have been pretty intense. I think one of those guys would have left. And I think at that point he probably would have left F1 because if LeClerc was able to do that to Vettel, he could probably stand a chance at beating Alonso. So I'm saying that at that point, 2019 is probably his last year in F1. Hmm. You're saying total. Yeah. I think that if he was, I think the McLaren years were so bad that it led him to do Indy 500. It led him to do the world endurance championship with Toyota. It led him to do the Dakar, all that kind of stuff. So if you put that on hold for a few years, if he's winning an F one competing for titles, he probably doesn't have the time to go run Indy. He doesn't have the time to do the Rolex or all that stuff. So I think at that point, if he wanted to go do those things, it would have to be after he like quits F one cold turkey. Hmm,
0: that's an interesting point. Do you uh? So
1: who's Alonso with now? Uh, he is with Alpine, which was formerly the team that he won his first two titles with. But they're not. I wouldn't say they're the greatest team. They're like a mid pack team. So uh, he went there banking on the rules changes. You know, maybe they could get a loophole, get competitive, but who knows? So I do think that the biggest impact on him not being a Ferrari is probably Hamilton's status. I think if Hamilton had to compete against him for those four or five years that he didn't, I don't know if Hamilton is like labeled as his absolute greatest driver ever, because I think right.
0: Do you think Hamilton gets the hundredth Grand Prix win this
1: year? Um I would say he's for sure already in the nineties. I don't think that Close Hamilton enough. would have won less. I just think that Alonso probably would have taken wins off the table for him. Like he still would have got a hundred, it just wouldn't have been as soon as it as it was because Mercedes was still the dominant car. There was no way Alonso would have beat him in 2015, even if he finished second. 2016, those were all pretty big years. So even if Alonso wins five or ten races those years, Hamilton just wins the other ten. So, right. Think about no, exactly, that. And I think that. Yes, Hamilton would have a lot more titles, obviously. You know, say Alonso gets three. Hamilton's at six right now. No, he's probably at six now. And but even though that that happens, I would still say that fans would probably understand enough, to say, hey, yes, he's got more titles, but I don't think that Alonzo's that far off of him as a driver. Because even today, he has not won a race since twenty thirteen. And people still say that he's you know, he's the next best guy after Hamilton. So hmm. who knows where they would have put him if he was actually winning the races. Right, right. Because I think he left off at 32 wins, which I think he was 28 or 29 years old when he won his last race. So he was pretty young. Do the math. I think Senna at 41 was the next guy on the wins list. He could have easily got that because Vettel won, I think, 14 races at Ferrari. So... If he stays no longer, maybe wins twenty or twenty-five. He's probably pushing. He might get to cross to fifty-one because if he left, if he was in thirty-two, I think forty-five or fifty probably would have been where he ends up on the wins list. So we had another one from
0: Alex who submitted. Um, for those of you that don't know, he's not here. I'm a poke a little fun at him. Alex's name is Sterling. He's named after Sterling Marlin. Um, so he wanted us to talk about this. In 2002 at Kansas, Sterling Marlin won a pretty dominant points lead at the time and uh, crashed and broke his neck. Sideline for the rest of the year, this obviously led to Jamie McMurray's career trajectory, which we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, if Sterling doesn't have that crash at Kansas, or he just doesn't get hurt in that crash at Kansas, do you still think he wins the title?
1: Oh, man, this is tough. I, I know I wanted to say somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if he was leading the points at the time of his injury. He might've like just lost it or something because 2002 was like every, like that was a crazy year. There was like a million different points leaders. Um, So even if he did lose a points lead, I think he very well could have got it right back given how good they were. But I can't say it for certain because like, like you were alluding to 2002 was super competitive. Like there were four or five guys that had a real chance at winning that title. So even if he doesn't win, I do think his career is on the same path because his 2001, 2002 are kind of like, they're kind of like a flash in the pan for someone who didn't see them because I wasn't around for those years. And you go back, you look at the stats, and it's like, where did that come from? Like, where did that speed come from with Sterling Marlin in those last couple of years where he was winning?
0: So I was just looking into it. I thought he had the lead at Kansas, but he was second. How far back was he? He was not, um, no, oh no, he was, he was third, really? but I mean, what it was it still, still a super close race. I can't find the exact, um, okay. So he was still like, it was, it was a super close race. So it said, yeah. at, uh,
1: I think even point. if he wins though, I would say that he probably still struggles for the remainder of his career because those two years, they yeah. literally seem like a flash in the pan. Like, they're inexplicably fast, and it's like, how did yeah. he get there? Like, what's going on?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know that Martin win- Marlon wins the title, um, just mm-hmm. because his to that point, he had the lead for the majority of the year, and then once those final eight races came together, ten races came together, um, obviously he won the Southern 500 that year, and that was actually his last career win. Um, mm-hmm. But he started to kind of fall off. He had a string of sub-30th. Place finishes. He had a sub of you know mid twenty place finishes, and that's what ultimately lost him the lead to that point. Um, yeah. So I don't think we miraculously see the trajectory turn around and him will pass. Um, but granted, he was going to a couple of his best tracks that he named uh, Talladega, Lowe's, um, etc. So maybe we saw him pull a cat out of the
1: bag with one of those. Yeah, he was really good at Lowe's. I know. Yeah, that for sure because yeah. he won the year before. I think.
0: Yep. Yeah, and so I don't know that we do see him win the championship. Um, I mean, this is going to be one of those Mark Martin, what ifs too. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's, it, that one's, this is a really tough one as far as does he win the championship, but the biggest, what if that comes out of that is if he doesn't get hurt, what does Jamie McMurray's career look like? Cause we know the next week at Lowe's in the, you know, or two weeks later at Lowe's mm-hmm. McMurray hopped in Marlon's car and went out and beat Bobby Labonte for the uh, race win.
1: Yeah, I don't know where his career would have gone from there because obviously I don't know a lot about mcmurray Star. You know, I wasn't around. I wasn't. I was. You know, I was barely alive back then. I was a few months old. So I'm thinking, you maybe his for? career doesn't take off the way it did. But I do think he still would have made it to Cup regardless because he did seem to have a pretty good record in the Bush Series from back then. From what I can tell, I wasn't alive to verify how hyped up he was as a prospect. But I do think that. His career would have for sure. He wouldn't have gone full time and cup that that instantly almost.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna look up the Bush Series standings. I mean, he was really good in the Bush Series. Mm-hmm. Um, he was almost a shoe in to get a Cup ride in 2003, possibly pushed back to 2004. Um, but everyone knew he was he was coming up, you know, to take someone's ride. However, I don't think we a see him signed to Ganassi immediately. Um, right. obviously the momentum from that win got him the contract, um, B, I don't think we see him stay around on top equipment as long. I don't think he goes to Roush. Um, and of course, by the time he left Roush, he still had two career wins, one being in 2002 with that second race. Um, the next being in Daytona in 07 where he yeah. beat Kyle Busch, um, past that, I mean, obviously he goes back to, you know, the Ganassi Earnhardt at that point, um, and really lights it up in 2010. And then past that didn't really do a whole lot. I know he got another win at Talladega, a um, couple good finishes sprinkled out, but he was never really a top driver in my opinion, outside of maybe 2010.
1: Um, yeah. It's tough to justify. I think that yeah, maybe 2004, he was really good that one year. Um, he had like career highs in most areas in 2004. And then 2010 was weird. Like he won all the crown jewels and then he didn't make the chase. And it's like, how, you know, Right. A confused with that, and I do think he was kind of an anomaly as a driver. You know, to win in your second race, than to I would say he peaked in 2004. Like I, I still think that's the best year of his career, even though he didn't win a race. And then 2010, win all the crown jewels, and then go back to kind of just running mid pack. Like yeah. I can't understand like the path his career's on, because like up and down, up and down. Yeah, that
0: one flash of brilliance in 2010. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, nothing really before or after that, even though he had a great season in 2004, um, he didn't get any wins. He didn't, I mean, he really didn't do a ton. Um, he didn't make the chase in 2004 either. Um, I'm almost curious as to how many times he actually did make that the chase or the playoff cut. Oh, I'm, it wasn't many. It wasn't many. I mean, I could count them on one hand. I know yeah, that.
1: I know that. I know that someone did like a what-if on his 4 and said that if he did make the chase, he probably would have finished like top five at points. Like his chase run was that good. It's just he wasn't in it.
0: Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't. I definitely don't think Jamie McMurray has as long of his career as he does. Maybe we see him do um, kind of like a Landon Castle thing where he races mm-hmm. a full-time year here and there um, and then, you know, does more Bush Series stuff, maybe gets a full-time truck ride or something. Um, but I definitely don't think he's one of those – Lingerers in the cup series kind of like ryan newman's turned into
1: yeah that's honestly I hate
0: to say it with newman
1: but i think yeah I you mean, know, he, he was doing really well before the injury and now it's kind of just yeah he's he's lingering there's nothing else to say
0: yeah um yeah that's that's really tough to see i mean he was shit, poised to win that daytona 500 and then since then hasn't hasn't done anything
1: yeah, I mean, I I do think that Roush isn't the greatest team, but then again, he definitely got hurt as a driver, performance wise. I don't know if it stemmed directly from his accident, or I just you know it's just a downturn. But yeah, definitely, like he was good in 2019. I think he pointed his way into the chase, and yep, he actually well, almost course, at He was winning yeah. like top three in one of the chase races and something like that. And yeah, he, he almost won Talladega uh, against Ryan Blaney. Um, yeah. He got pushed out way out front, and he almost won that race. I um, I remember picking him to win that race, and I was really mad he didn't win that race. But it's a shame because I do think that it's sad seeing a guy that used to be able to run top 10. Now it's just like, man, I really hope he finishes 20th.
0: Yeah. So another what if, and I came up with a couple that I'm really interested in. Um, this one, we kind of chatted about a little bit before we came on. What if Ray Evernham didn't leave crew chiefing, Jeff Gordon didn't leave Hendrick Motorsports to start his own team. Um, it's, it's safe to say that he wouldn't have crew chiefed for 20 something years, right? He would have been moved up into Chad Knauss competition director position. Mm -hmm. But what do we see out of that 24 car in Hendrick Motorsports? If Ray doesn't leave,
1: Oh man, a hundred wins for Jeff Gordon, maybe. I mean, you, he left 80. in 93. I think 100 was very well possible if he had a couple more years because he won a title with Robbie Loomis. So thinking of it from that perspective, it's like what's to say that he doesn't win 100 races with Ray Everham?
0: Right. Right, yeah. And you look at that '01 one season, that was Everham's first year that he was gone from Hendrick.
1: And um, he did really, really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, still went out and swept the season, had the title locked up for the final race. Um we see him run really good a few years after that as well. I mean, yeah, I think that we see a Jeff Gordon, hundred wins. We see him get a fifth title, possibly a sixth. Um, sure. And I don't think Jimmy Johnson comes in and sweeps house like he did. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I definitely think it really a debate. lot tougher. Yeah. Cause then at that point you would have had canals going head to head with Everham as the two star crew chiefs in NASCAR. Um, week in, week out, I think Hendrick Motorsports doesn't wait until as late as they did this season to get that two hundredth win. Um, I think mm-hmm. they get it four or five years ago, maybe. Um yeah. you know, we're talking about not seeing a fall off in Jeff Gordon's career towards the mid 2000s
1: Yeah, because I know he kind of had a little revolving door at chiefs in the late two thousands. I think he had like Steve Letart one year. He almost won with Letard. And mm-hmm. then he—I want to say he had who did he have in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten? Was it was it Alan Gustafson still Because I know he ended his career with Gustafson. Uh, let me look it up. Because I'm—I I'm, know I'm blanking on somebody here. I don't know how long Latart was his crew chief. Maybe three Steve years. Latart so. was two thousand nine. Because I, I remember LaTarte being around yeah. a while. I think it was LaTarte was what like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, maybe. So LaTarte –
0: Was end of 2005,
1: 2006, 7, 8, 9. Um, let me see here, and then maybe it was like Gus every year after that.
0: Yeah, I think it went straight into Gustafson. Um, yeah,
1: actually, actually yeah, like I don't know how long everyone would have stayed for sure. Like, that's that's the fun part for me. Like, how long do you think you would have been there?
0: It depends on what kind of position he was offered. Maybe he was offered another car to go crew chief with. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I remember him saying at one point that it kind of just wasn't clicking anymore with him and Gordon. Um, right. Maybe there was some, that was kind of an interpersonal relationship. Maybe there was something going on with the cars at that time. Um, so I don't know if we see him step directly into a competition director standpoint. Um, but I mean, this is one of my best ones because Everham wasn't, I mean, they won a lot of races, but they were never really one of the dominant teams.
1: Yeah, I would say that, like, in terms of, like, a peak of a career, it's hard to really name anybody that came close. I do think that Gordon at his peak, I would say that he's better than Johnson at his peak. I would agree with that. Like, I know there's not as many titles, but I think that you look at one way, it's like Canals and Johnson were really, really good. In the last 10 races of every year but um, if you imagine that over the full year that's what gordon was
0: yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean i'd agree with that i don't know that gordon's current gordon didn't have a peak as long as johnson
1: right it wasn't as long but i do think that what was wild to me about his career is that somebody mentioned that his quote-unquote the lull of his career, like, say, 2002 to 2015 or whatever, he still won 40 races in that time. But then again, the 40 races he won in those 12 years, he won that in four years with Everham.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a really fun one. Um, yeah, the other one I had was in 1990 at Richmond, Mark Martin was handed a penalty of 46... Uh, points in the standings driver points Mm -hmm. um Roush was also fined $40,000 um for I mean a little spacer in the engine that was just barely over the uh over the allotted amount what if Martin has never handed that 46 point penalty
1: I think he wins that title I think it's really really fair to say he wins that title right I agree um
0: so I'm looking up the points now. Martin lost it by
1: 21 points. Yeah, so that that for sure, that was more than the deficit he lost yeah. by.
0: Yeah, so I think he wins that title. I think that swings more momentum in his favor. Um, yeah. You know, we were talking about it. Martin finished fifth five times. He finished second in the point standings. Um, 1990, 94, 98, 2002, which mm-hmm. we hit on, and um, 2009. So... I think Martin gets that title in 90. I think he also gets one or two later on in his career. I think we see Martin in at least a two-time champion just because of that momentum swing, and he doesn't necessarily have that monkey on his back still.
1: Yeah, and I want to know. I want to say that Earnhardt had like a really off year one year. I don't know if it was ninety-one or ninety-two that he had that off year. 92. Okay, so I think that if you're looking statistically, maybe that could have been Mark Martin's second title. Yeah, because I know know that he was one of the six guys that was like entitled to tension. But then again, there were too many guys that were good that year for me to say that he would have for sure won.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was also the year that Bill Elliott kind of whooped ass for the majority of the year. Um, Allison. Allison was really good for the majority of that year. Um, That's a whole nother conversation as far as Davey Allison's just 1992 season. I'm a book of knowledge on that one. But, but yeah, so
1: I'm probably going to say that Allison walks away with the title, if he never gets hurt in any of those races. Yeah. Oh, easily.
0: Easily walks away with the title. Um, not only that, but I think he wins it in 93
1: as well. Ooh, man. I forgot. Let me see. I don't know who. Because he was still in 93. Yeah, so I know that Irvin was like the, the fill-in driver for half of that year, and then they put him in full-time 94. Irvin probably almost wins 94. Maybe he does win 94. He was close to 94. Had Irvin he was not got almost hurt. Almost leading the points. When he got yeah. Hurt.
0: yeah. Had Irvin not got hurt, um, he would have won the 94 title, in my opinion. So I think yeah, people
1: good. forget that year that when Jeff Gordon won the first breakout 400 is because Irvin blew its higher from the lead. Right, right, right. So it's like Ernie Irvin was really, really, really good that year. So who yeah. wants to say that You know, he wouldn't have won that title if he got hurt, if he never got hurt. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, we kind of stemmed off of Mark Martin, but I mean, there's a whole slew of things that had one race gone different. Yeah. NASCAR history is completely
1: different. And what about, so if Ernie Irvin's tire never goes down at that practice session, Michigan, what happens to Dale Jarrett? Like he probably doesn't go to Yates that early. Maybe never goes there.
0: Yeah, I think we see Jarrett stick around at Gibbs for maybe another year or two. Um, so that, that hurts Bobby Labonte, then. Right. I mean, we throw a wrench in mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, you know, so if Bobby 20. Labonte
1: would stay at, what, Bill Davis, I think? Yeah, because he's driving so, that 22. So then who goes Then who goes to the 22? What happens to Ward Burton? Right. do then, see, like, yeah. Like, he I could mean, probably name it driver after yeah. driver that gets affected by this whole thing.
0: Right. And that, you know, the butterfly effect for or trickles down into Chase Elliott driving for Toyota right now.
1: (laughs) That would be amazing.
0: Yeah. Chase Elliott is driving for front row motorsports.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, Oh man. I watched a video today about Gary Ballou. Oh man. We could do a whole episode on Gary Ballou. I wanted to know. It's like he was seeming to break into NASCAR right about the time that he got, he got arrested and, Like they said, he won a bush race. He was actually competitive in his cup starts. And then, you know, right as he's knocking on the door, he gets arrested.
0: Right. And one of the the hardest things was on the Dale Jr. download. um, And I think it's in his book too, is that when he was serving prison time in Alabama, he was Mm -hmm. within, I think like a couple miles of Talladega, maybe it was within a mile. And he could hear the cars racing as he was sitting in jail. Man, that would be tough.
1: Yeah, I definitely think he would have won races in Cup I and mean, not get hurt. I mean, I don't know about yeah. Champion, but he definitely would have won a race. I'd like to do an episode in the future. Um, we'll get
0: Alex on board. I'm sure he would be about the yeah. best cheaters in NASCAR. And top oh, of my this list. Are, like, this is different. He's a legal cheater. He's not yeah. like
1: a sport cheater. You know, he's like actual breaking the law. Like Right. There's, like, the is is a weird tenders, like, yeah, yeah, John Paul Sr., probably the shadiest man in racing. No yeah. one even knows where he is still. They think that he's like, he's pushed people out of planes. He's killed people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say, who else is up there? Randy Lanier is another noted. Like, there were a lot of sports car drivers back then that were like in like a smuggling ring. And there's just like, there, there's some things that went on that people today probably wouldn't fathom. They're like, there's no way it's happened.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and you're talking about, um, I don't know if you listened to the, the uh, white knuckle God fear and spun out and half turned over racing stories. Oh
1: man. I listened to that once and I really liked it. And I've ever since then, I forgot to turn it back on, but I'm like, this is they a good one
0: about a race in the 1960s
1: where there was something, I
0: think the track was coming up. It's been a while since I listened to this one and they shortened the race yeah. from 200 laps to just over a hundred and the fans rioted and basically locked the drivers into the track and, like, there were fights going on and stuff like that. Like, Richard Petty had to kind of fight his way out of the the infield. I mean, so, I mean, NASCAR has a, a really rough history. Even, <laughs> I mean, not that
1: long ago. It wasn't like it was
0: 100 years ago.
1: Yeah, they had all sorts of stories. I mean, there were like, that Talladega race where no one wanted to drive. and Yeah. There's just – there's things that go on in the sport that, that I think it would be cool if you – Saw, you know, the new fans on NASCAR Twitter that are maybe, like, younger than I am, which is crazy to think about. And think Just go take the group of fans that are younger than Jimmy Johnson's first title. People born after 2006. Show them his stuff, and they're probably like, whoa, no way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like you could do that with a lot of motorsports, like even Formula One. Um, yeah. They, I think a lot of those. races, man. The younger fans could really do having themselves a lot of good from watching some of those older documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the best Formula One documentaries I've ever seen was titled One. And oh, yes. Like the whole safety of F1. Yeah. And Holy shit, that sport was dangerous. There was like... Yeah. They lost a
1: driver every three weeks for a series of like two years. <laughs> you know what's crazy is I actually found that documentary like in full English on YouTube. Like high That's definition.
0: I watched it and my girlfriend watches some racing documentaries like she's interested in learning about it but she's not a huge fan of formula one like she doesn't like drive to survive at all but she was Mm. adamantly like hey we pause this documentary come sit down so we can turn it back on like she was interested oh yeah y'all haven't seen it one you can find it on youtube yeah i actually
1: saw it when it came out i think 2013 when i was like a little kid and i'm like oh man this is really cool and i actually read jackie Stewart's book and it has a lot of the stuff he said in that film you know he wrote Elaborated on it, and you know, he's in. You know, there were races where more than one driver died back then,
0: yeah. Like, one oh. accident would kill two drivers, three drivers yeah. sometimes.
1: Like, there was a race, I think, at Spa in 1960. This is before Jackie Stewart made it to F1, but this somebody, I think Sterling Moss, broke his legs in practice. That's certain, that's one, right? There were no marshals. So one of the drivers gets in his car and drives back to the pits to go get somebody to find him. His steering column snaps. He gets paralyzed. He sues Lotus. He wins, which is like crazy uncommon in racing. then after that, two drivers die in the same race. Yeah. All in a single weekend. And even
0: you can look back even to 1994 and the last time multiple drivers died in the same race weekend, they had – I mean, a good span of like seven or eight years between deaths in Formula One. And they had two consecutive days. Plus, they had one get hurt. Right. I mean, Ronald Ratzenberger and uh, Ayrton Senna were the ones killed. And that led to Imola getting completely, I mean, reconfigured almost.
1: Yeah, there's no Tamburello now. It's like, it's just, there's a chicane there. Right. You remember Spa? they made a rouge, they made a chicane one year. Yeah. And it's funny because Senna, in a quote, said that if you take away Al Rouge, you take away the reason I do this. And sure enough, after he dies, the response is to take it away. Right. Yeah, Senna's not here. Let's take it away. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's just weird things. And I do think one is probably, like, comprehensively the best racing documentary I've ever seen. Like, I know it's long, but if you watch through the whole thing, it's yeah. it's comprehensively the best. Like, it covers the entire history of the series.
0: Yeah. That should be one of our um, watch along things. Watch alongs, yeah. So for those yes. of you watching, for those of you watching, we're planning a new segment this off season. Um, we're not going to give out too much of it because um, I want Alex to maybe lead that that way. But we do have some big things coming with documentaries
1: in the future. We've got a little bit of a, a collection that we want to start, and I do believe that one is going to be one of our documentaries.
0: I would hope so. Even if me and you just sit and watch it, shit, I'd yeah, be all for like, I don't think the other two have seen it yet. I would doubt it. I mean, if not, they need to Alex see it for the first time. Like we've seen yeah. it,
1: but I don't care. I can watch it twenty times and never get tired.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, every time I watch it, I pick up little things that I missed the time
1: before. Yeah, I think if we if we get together and we watch it, I think there's no way that others who are not going to like it. Yeah, like if you like racing, you will like the documentary.
0: Yeah, great documentary. Um, man, we went off on a huge tangent, but shit that was a good conversation
1: yeah what else we got i mean we, we got so documentaries we got one we've got we've got a whole like nostalgia trove full of documentaries we're not going to say what they are but one of our hosts found a whole playlist of old documentaries that that would really really be good i don't know if anyone else here has seen them but like so well, you, just, know, you guys find out i think you about, I you're yeah um there's another one for you guys
0: on youtube um i do i get a lot of documentaries from youtube this is a nascar one yeah. um it's like southern legends of speed and it's all about the history of darlington that's it
1: it's just 45 oh. minutes of darlington that's a really really good one there was one i want to say there used to be one that played during rain delays about martinsville i, mm-hmm. I wish it's on youtube i've looked everywhere on it and it's not on youtube but the darlington one is for sure on youtube
0: yeah, the Darlington one's good. Another one is Petty Blue. It's actually narrated
1: by Kevin Costner. Ooh,
0: that's I a remember, good one.
1: I, might, I don't know if I don't remember much of it, but I do think I watched that when I was like a little kid.
0: Yeah, that's, that's that would a be a fun one movie. too. Um, I mean, you can just type in NASCAR documentary on YouTube, yeah. F1 documentary on YouTube. Um, I've seen most of them um yeah. One is definitely towards the top. There's a couple other ones that are really good. There's one about just the technology in F1. Um, it was a good 45 minutes, and it dives into um the Williams car in the early 90s. That yeah, that was
1: like a spaceship, basically. I yeah, still think that's, it's the most advanced car there ever was.
0: Yeah, it's completely outlawed after a season. Um, I don't <laughs> think it made it a full season. Um, yeah, I know. I think
1: Prost drove the predecessor, or not predecessor. He drove the he drove the like the new edition of the Mansell car in 93, mm-hmm. he won the title in it. He still said that he didn't like it because he thought there were so many driving assists that it basically didn't feel connected to the track. Like it had trash control, active suspension, automatic upshifts. That was another one. Um, yeah. Probably had launch control. Who knows? Um, it literally, it, like the suspension being active, that was crazy. Like I know that got banned quick, but just seeing yeah. that is insane. The active suspension was the big
0: thing for me. So it read, I think it was like 200 times a second. Yeah. And it constantly kept up on a computer chip of how high the car was off the ground. And it automatically adjusted the suspension to keep it at the optimum level, basically with
1: every single pebble in
0: the asphalt that they hit.
1: Yeah. And that's probably what threw Prost off. He's probably like, you know, it has to feel weird, right? I like know the car's riding at a Yeah. And you've seen videos when that suspension fails, like it'll just spin the car out. Yeah. Because it, it forgets where it is on the track. and then... Yeah,
0: and then it goes into like the skid plates in F1.
1: Oh, the teams on the bottom. Yeah, those
0: are, those are pretty yep. cool. Uh, teams, uh, it eventually led to the FIA mandating your bottom, your skid plate cannot wear more than this, you know, micro amount during
1: the race. Did it get into like double diffusers, all that kind of loophole stuff? It's been a while since There's I've like, seen it. There was... I was just watching, like, a video the other day on this, and it was, like, the top 10 most innovative, like, cheats in F1. There was a team that pulled out, like, when the ground effects were a thing. They they just stuck a big fan on the back of the car with Nikki, yeah, He won a race, and they got banned the next day. There was, like, oh, one was six-wheel the, uh... cars. Those things were ridiculous. Oh, I have Hot Wheels of that. I was going to ask if you wanted it. I, I think I have that. Yeah. the you, by any chance? Because I know yeah, I have the six-wheel. The, yeah. You would like Terrell. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's a six wheel car, we've got the fan car, I think the F ducks. Oh, yeah, that was that was kind of like my time because I know it was like 2010, yeah. or 2011. That was kind of interesting because you could see drivers take corners with one hand just to have that thing. Well, wasn't it
0: who was it that they caught on camera driving the car with no hands because their one hand was covering oh. the F duct and the other one was doing something else like shifting.
1: Oh, i don't man. know if they were still shifting like that at the time yeah they, they i know the they paddle paddles i think by 1986 i think every car was paddle but but the other one was doing something yeah. yeah he was like i know back then that certain adjusting buttons that are now on the wheel were not on the wheel back then like brake yeah. bias, like that they'd have like little levers and stuff that they could pull and i don't know who it was because every team had different f-ducks like some of them you could use your legs some of them you can use your arm yeah This is ridiculous. There's we got F ducks. We got. Hmm. I know there's more. There's more cheats for sure out there that I can think of. Like you remember the dual axis steering or whatever it is Mercedes pulled out. That yeah. That was. I guess that that was only for like tire warming purposes, but. That was, like, that was beyond ridiculous.
0: So if you guys are watching, we cannot due to Twitter settings, we can't see your comments. Yeah. Um, Cheyenne just commented, what's the one we watched about Ayrton Senna? Um, so we watched a couple, we watched Senna. I've got that one on DVD. Yeah, that was one of the first I watched. And... Where it's just the complete history of Ayrton it goes through yeah. days to his death. Um, that one was really good. That's actually where I got my poster from. I don't think I've ever shown it on camera.
1: Yeah, um, maybe... I, I do. I but, might have seen it before. I'm not sure. So
0: it's, it's a painting. It's called What If? Um, Mm -hmm. by Oleg conan and it's a picture of his uh wreck at imola in san marino 94
1: yeah
0: um, where he's sitting there and we've all seen the damaged car and him just laying over in the cockpit but it's actually got one of his belts thrown off and he's starting to get up out of the car so that's that's where i got that from um the other one we watched was the one documentary where it goes through um,
1: like nate and i were talking about just the history of f1 safety Um, I do wish that they would pull one out for, like, Prost. You know, they've got one for Senna. Prost isn't such a bad rep from that Senna movie. Right. I think that, yes, his 1989 title was really, really shady. Like, I'll say that. Like, he definitely, he took Senna out, and then afterwards he went into the official's room. Like, there's no, like, if it's for sure shady, but I do think that he deserves a little bit more respect in terms of, like, you know, being an all-time great. Because he did, after all... I think he had six teammates that either won a title or went on to win a title as teammates. He beat every single one of them at least once. Yeah. And I do, I do wish that more people were like, Hey, maybe this guy wasn't so bad.
0: Yeah. He definitely gets a bad rep and I'm on the same page. I didn't know much about him until I saw Senna. And then I got into learning about
1: the world. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I think someone mentioned that, you look at the cars back then. It's like, oh, people are like, oh, you know, he was a smooth driver. Which obviously now everyone can say they're a smooth driver. But the cars back then, they had like a thousand horsepower. There were manual gearboxes, right? No headrests. It's like he drove the cars smoothly in a time where you couldn't really do that. Yeah, he yeah, almost I made it look like it was delicate and simple, when most guys were pretty much just on the edge the entire time.
0: Right. Yeah, I love the footage of Senna at Monaco setting the the pole speed, and it's got the yeah. onboard of him actually grabbing Good gears. I,
1: I can't imagine doing that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the balls on that guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like they compare it to Prost, and, you know, with Prost, the onboard never really shakes that much. You know, yeah. Like it's almost – I don't know how he drives that smoothly in a car that, you know – Wasn't, wasn't meant to drive smoothly, out. yeah. It's like how on earth is he able to just slow it down like that?
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those were a couple of good documentaries. I can even hop on here and see. Yeah,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll pull some of um
0: Some of the other good ones I saw. Um, the Pit Stop in Two Seconds, I started
1: watching that one. The yeah. of Formula One Pit Stops, that's a really good one. I'll pull up a channel for you that you might like if you're getting into, like, technology stuff. There's a channel called Driver 61. I do use little... it.
0: I oh, just really, started watching it. This guy really
1: yeah. like, talks to, like, the driver coach, and he talks about yeah. Like he does these little like ten minute videos about certain technology pieces. He talks about the brakes, suspension, tires, you know, mass damper. He talks about the CVT thing that Williams tried to do with like infinite gears, and he almost—I mean—he talks about everything,
0: so not just F one. I mean,
1: he talks about the helmets, how they change. He talks about yeah, you know, the steering wheels, the engines. He talks about a couple of drivers, how they drive. He talks about. What what makes the brakes in F1 car special? I mean, I do think the brakes one was pretty cool because I don't I don't think that people like us would ever be able to comprehend how quickly the car can stop.
0: Yeah. So like, I think
1: it's
0: donut media, maybe. Um mm-hmm. maybe it's Vin Wiki. One of them has a video of a guy who was offered a chance to drive a, a little bit older Formula One. Um, so this was maybe 2018, 2019. He got to drive a 2014 formula one car and it's pretty much the closest any civilian can get to driving an F1 Mm -hmm. car. And he said the brakes were ridiculous. Like he would press on the pedal so hard. He felt like his leg was going to break. And the team was like, okay, that's 70% pressure. You have to hit that every corner or else the car won't stop.
1: And And I remember, um, I remember Jeff Gordon, when he did that seat swap with Montoya, he's like, oh my God, I don't have the strength to drive these cars, man. Yeah. And he mentioned that, or Montoya mentioned that just lifting off the throttle in an F1 car and letting the downforce slow the car down is the same as hitting the brakes to full power on a cup car.
0: Yeah. It's ridiculous.
1: And I think there's a website there. for Brembo. If you go on there, you can search up like F1 Brembo top braking sections. They'll like give you timing, G-forces, so like, okay, so here let's say, I think it was Canada, right? I think it was like mm-hmm. turn one or whatever. They're like, you break from 190 miles an hour to 70 miles an hour in like two seconds. Yeah. It's like five Gs and it, it slows you down that much in maybe a couple hundred yards. And they're like, yeah, you applied this much pounds of pressure to the pedal. It's for this long. It's This is the force. I think some of the tracks got up to six Gs. Yeah. Just getting thrown forward and it's like, I think one of the therapists for the drivers was like, yeah, back in 2017, they, they made the cars faster. And someone complained like, you know, my, that whatever's like in my tear ducts is getting pulled out of my eyes. Every time I hit the brakes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what Jimmy said when he tested Alonso's car. He said when he hits the brakes, it has such power that his eyes lose focus.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. Do the, like if you ever see pictures of people that stand at the track side and they're like, they're going from top speed all the way down to like 40 miles an hour and maybe a hundred meters or like a hundred or 150 meters. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, they, like the timing on the, the Brembo sheet, it's like, Oh, they do this in 2.8 seconds. It's like, how? I couldn't imagine breaking in one of those cars without a
0: harness. I think I'd probably die. Like, like you just breaks. And, you know, like, yeah, I think it actually killed me. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh um, it's, know, it's like that they you drive
1: don't... a road car and you hit the brakes, and it's like, okay, this is enough. And
0: yeah, you feel the seatbelt catch it. I couldn't imagine stronger than that.
1: Yeah, and it's I guess I wonder someone said that when you hit the brake pedal, the G forces that throw you forward actually help you push the pedal down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but but you don't really want to push it too far or else, you're gonna lock up, and it's like Yeah, what, what do, you, do want you want me do to do here? here? Yeah, and then someone mentioned back in the 60s or 70s, when people like Jackie Stewart were racing, the gearboxes back then weren't, like, they weren't, they didn't have the synchro or rev matching or whatever it's called, so every downshift, they would have to heel and toe, which is, like, so if you look at the Santa Monica footage, he was having to heel toe every downshift because the gearbox wouldn't match the revs manually or automatically, so it's like, I don't know the process to drive a car with three pedals that quickly, like everything just happens so quick. And it's like,
0: yeah. Have you seen the, uh, the footage of him doing the heel toe in just like a regular street car. Yeah. That was, that was like, okay. Yeah.
1: I'm never gonna be able to do that. Yeah.
0: And you gotta think I'm that's never. probably a half speed of what he was doing yeah. in an F1 car. Like that was probably super easy for him. Like it's ridiculous.
1: Like, um, yeah. One, Some of the older drivers, man, like I know people beating that horse, like, Oh, you know, Oh, people are just, you know, they're nostalgic. The older drivers aren't that good. But really, if you look at the drivers back then, some of the things they had to do back then are just like, you can't not respect that. Another one I saw, I don't remember if it was uh,
0: what the F1 or if it was Driver 60. Oh, I found it here. Um, Spies and Lies. It's a short documentary, 20 minutes, and it goes through the whole uh, McLaren F1 deal. The Spygate? Yeah, or so like some random dude in a print shop who was a Ferrari fan.
1: Oh, I got a book on that. For, oh, yeah. He,
0: he found out that uh, McLaren had a spy in, F, in um, Ferrari's garage sending them the info for Ferrari's cars. And they ended up getting fined like millions of dollars. Like
1: mm-hmm. it
0: was crazy.
1: It's been a while yeah. since i have seen that one. And people talk about how like Alonzo threatened the blackmail and stuff like that. And yeah. You know, there's a book that's written by one of the mechanics from McLaren at the time. He goes on to I'm halfway through it now, but he actually goes on to talk about how Hamilton was pretty he was pretty clever. Like people didn't think he was that involved politically, but he was, even as a rookie. He just said that Lewis Hamilton is very good at making himself come off as innocent every time. Yeah, you know, like he would do all sorts of clever little tricks just to, just to do whatever he could to come out on the good side.
0: Yeah, so that's another crazy one.
1: Um yeah. there's just there's things that go on in these series that you wouldn't know about, and I'm I'm honestly glad that more people are getting into F1 or IndyCar because you remember the time when F1 used to be on Speed Channel, like I felt like yeah. one of ten people in the world watching it. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, wow, everyone wants to be an F1.
0: Yeah, I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when I was kind of a kid growing up and a teenager, I used to think, why is this the number one motorsport in the world? Like, who, right. Who watches this? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I get it after watching all these documentaries and, you know, watching right. some races live. Um, like, I don't think it's the go on. No, I just, it just blew my mind how popular really? it was.
1: Right. Like, I don't think it's like, obviously, I don't think it's a a driver's championship all the time because of the cars. But it's just interesting because there's there's really a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Go on. And I I do think that the cool thing about F1 is that stuff like that gets celebrated. Whereas in NASCAR, you never really get to hear the stuff that goes on about what makes the cars go fast, the technology, the little secrets that the NASCAR teams have. You never hear about them even yeah. 30 years after some of the things come out and never know what goes on. I don't understand that because F1 teams will be like, oh yeah. You know, they'll say, oh yeah, five years ago, we cheated. We don't care. Yeah. Don't brag about it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy.
1: Nate, do you have anything for us before we close off mm. here? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I do think we covered a lot of bases that I didn't plan on covering but they're good anyways. Um, I would suggest though for F1 books, this one halfway through it, it's already really good. It's basically told from the perspective of a mechanic for McLaren at the time. He worked with a lot of different people, had a lot of cool stories. Um, There was one in my other house of the Jackie Stewart book. That was really good. I've already read it, but it's really good.
0: So that one you're reading for the audio listeners, what's the, the title of it and the author?
1: Um it's called The Mechanic. It's by Mark Priestley. And okay. it's The Mechanic, The secret world of the F1 pit lane. It's it, you know he has got stories about, you know, the nightlife in F1, what's it like? What's it like traveling? You know, what's what's life like on the team and he's worked with a lot of like big name drivers I and mean, he's he he went through Spygate, he went through all some of these controversies. And I'm assuming I think he was there for Liegate too, which was 2009. That's a whole nother story
0: yeah yeah that's another big one we could have
1: damn near half episode on yeah crash gate um, obviously it's like d1
0: yeah crash gate was another big one um
1: Nelson pk jr to nascar too which is kind of cool
0: yeah um other than that i'm gonna have to steal that book from you when you're done yeah you have to send it up to me you gotta yeah. like
1: you gotta you have to read this book man like i'm i'm probably gonna finish it in the next couple of weeks so
0: hell yeah um other than that i that's don't have amazing. much else um say no to Phoenix. If you guys were watching last week, um, I'm going to have a whole article coming out about why you should not watch the Phoenix race. Check out our last episode, episode 37. Um, for my reasons as to why you should not watch Phoenix. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I'll be sharing it on Twitter, Facebook, um, all platforms, and it'll be live on FanFuel.com or FanFuelMotorsports.com motorsports.com. Um, almost immediately after the Martinsville race, kind of going to hype it up. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I'm pretty pretty well set. This is a good episode, just the two of us without our, our mediator here.
1: <laughs> yeah, we didn't really have much like we didn't have much of a schedule. We just kind of went around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know Alex set up uh the main bullet points for the woker joke. Um and then we went into a huge forty five minute tangent on <laughs> F one, which is I mean, it was great. That was a good conversation. Yeah, Alex, it. I, it. I think that
1: something that we've I guess something that we need to get is we need to get more like fans from like IndyCar, F1, sports cars, all the series that most racing podcasts in our demographic don't cover. Yeah, There's a lot of podcasts that just cover NASCAR. So we want to be a little bit different. We want to give you a little bit of everything. You know, NASCAR is obviously our main thing because it's our domestic series, you know. But once IndyCar comes back on, once F1 gets back into full swing next year, we're going to try and give you F1 content, IndyCar content, you know, Rolex 24 content. Yeah, Stuff that maybe all we'll of Outlaws content. podcasts. Yeah,
0: I know Jared's starting to work on the world of Outlaws quite a bit. Yeah, there's um, another one.
1: So we got world of, we got Dirt, we've got all sorts of road racing, oval racing. Probably we might even have more if, if one of us finds a random series that we like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We want to cover racing as a whole.
0: Yeah, exactly. We want to start to branch out um like Nate yeah. said we're not we're not trying to just be another NASCAR podcast that's kind of why we don't wear the sunglasses and the slamming beers during it I do wear the rope hats though like these are sick the rope hats are dope um but I, we still got the vintage merch I got an old UPS Dale Jarrett jacket it's, on right it's now it's not
1: jacket season down here it's never jacket season down here oh
0: it's almost always jacket season up here
1: <laughs> yeah I but think we're gonna be in a good spot in the off season because I think We'll have plenty of NASCAR documentaries. We'll have a couple F1 documentaries as watch alongs. I think we said one was probably going to be the big highlight. Yep. Um, we've got, we we do have, um, I'm trying to get some people on the podcast. I have not started this yet, but I will. Um, we have a potential sports car driver from another series that we would love to get on. Um, I don't want to give too much out because I haven't reached out yet, but if we can get him on, it'll be really cool because you know, if you know who I'm hinting at, he's a lot more than just a driver. Like, he has an actual day job. That would be really cool. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned it to us in private. Um, Brandon Hall is another one that we would like to get on. He is mm-hmm. going to be kind of a sister podcast to Fanfield Motorsports next year. Um, he runs the Scrub and Tires podcast. He does a lot of local stuff from where I'm at. He's actually going to start racing legends next year. Um, he races well. with guys. Uh, like Chris Eggleston, who was a former NASCAR driver, mm-hmm. races down at Colorado National Speedway. Um, We're friends on Facebook, so I'm going to try to get Eggleston on. Brandon Hall is definitely on the list. So, you guys, check out Scrubbing Tires podcast.
1: Oh, and guess who we have next week? We got Keith Merrick. We got Keith
0: Merrick next week.
1: The diecast
0: guy after Martinsville. I'm stoked oh, about nice. it. We've been trying to get him on for a while.
1: Like, we're going to have all sorts of things to talk about with him because he could probably write us a book on Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Like, He's, like, the most, like, I don't know where to say. He's probably the most diehard Jimmy Johnson fan on social media.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, super stoked for Keith next week. Um, you guys, be sure to follow us on Twitter at FanFuelMSM. That's capital F, capital F, capital MSM. Also, check out our website. Follow that link. It's our pinned tweet on FanFuel on Twitter. Um, we would love to hear your submissions for content. Um, please be sure to fill it out. Get us some info about you. We'd love to get you on the show. Check out our website at fanfuelmotorsports.com. Got a lot of great content coming on there, and that's already on there as well. A lot of opinion articles, um, some super in-depth analytic articles as well. Um, So be sure to check us out. Thank you guys for listening and for watching. Um, Other than that, have a good one.